You're listening to the Coaching for Civic Leadership Project. We live in a society with a leadership void, and I've been talking with athletes, coaches, and other sports leaders who are helping to fill it. If you're here today without listening to part one of my conversation with Clark Kellogg and Ember Glenn, it probably makes sense for you to go back and listen to that one first, because it'll really give you a sense of Clark and Everett's relationship and their foundational and pioneering experiences in elite sport. And I think it provides a nice context for the conversation that we get into today. Now, in part two, we talk about their work outside of sport, starting and serving community organizations, their philanthropy, their views on the sports industry, and their advice to people in sports who are still finding their voice. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Clark Kellogg and Everett Glenn. Last time, you know, we talked about both your backgrounds, you know, how you guys got to know each other, um, you know, working relationship, you know, and personal relationships. So now I wanted to talk as sort of a part two, more on what we're talking about now, you know, your views on the industry and your community work. Um, but to, to, before we get into that, I thought I'd just start us off like when we talk about leadership what do you two imagine? So maybe we'll start with uh, we'll start with Clark. When we're talking about leadership, what does that mean to you? You know, I had one a mentor of mine mention leadership as really leveraging your influence, your personal influence, to the greatest degree you can, in as many ways as you can, and that resonates with me. In other words. We all are unique and we have different stories and journeys and skill sets and experiences mm -hmm. and perspectives. But leadership is about using what you have to make a difference through influence. And that influence comes in your presence. It comes through the resources of your time and finances and knowledge. It comes through things that you may uniquely be able to impact because of your journey. Mm -hmm. um, for me personally, I mean, having been in the world of sports as a player at each level and then now as a commentator, um, being a black man, being a husband, being a father, being the father of um, Division One athletes, there are certain things in my story that can be helpful to other people and certain things in my experience that can lend insight to others. And um, it's not mine to own whatever I have. It's mine to leverage for good for others. So that's kind of how I look at it. Just, um, mm. you know, leveraging your influence in the places that you are and that you can be for the greater good. How about you, Everett? What does leadership mean to you in your own words? Uh, well, I would, uh, I would echo what Clark said as well as what the bishop once said. Uh, it's not about a position mm. or title. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about action and example. Uh, which is why they say people, some people lead by example. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, uh, you have to be a risk to be a leader. Hmm. Um, and you have to be willing to 
the grain or what might be considered the status quo. I want to talk more like, you know, take more of a historical lens. Um, just thinking about your experiences and as sports leaders for many years now. So, you know, from a, a broad sort of society point of view, what are you noticing that's different now compared to when you guys were coming up in the sports industry? And maybe we'll start with Clark again. Um, you know, it's interesting you're always impacted by not only what you've seen and done, but by the passing of time, you know, mm -hmm. there are certain things that I wish I had a 58, 59 year old's perspective when I was 31 or 32 or 25 mm -hmm. or 26. But the old saying goes that um, youth is wasted on the young. And I feel that way. You know, I wish I could sometimes go back with the knowledge and wisdom I've gained and be able to, incorporate that into, you know, where I was, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago. But um, for me, um, you know, being the dad of three, three adult kids and kind of watching them navigate and looking at their particular generation, uh, mm -hmm. some of the things are, are the same. I mean, some things are, um, are timeless and, and repetitive. Um, you know, the challenges that we see uh, in our society, in all aspects of it, as it relates to justice, equality, uh, inequality, uh, racial turmoil and discrimination. I mean, some of those things are still existing. They've gotten better in some ways, but in other ways they haven't. Um, but I do see, I think, in general, particularly as it relates to sports, more, more athletes seeking to own their brand and also mm. own their influence and use their voices in a mm -hmm. more um, intentional um, way. Still right. work to be done, but I do, I do sense and feel and see that. And it makes me proud and excited as I look at younger folks that are coming behind me 10, 12, 15 years. And then there's still our folks, my peers and those who are older that inspire me too, because they're, uh, continuing to influence others, but also thinking about how my, how they might impact this next generation um, mm -hmm. with their resources and with their own um, wisdom and influence. So I think things are, um, I, I'm, I'm excited about the, the potential and the um, intentionality I see around, um, particularly athletes um, being more um, mindful of their mm -hmm. potential and their responsibility, I think, to influence um, others in their communities and beyond. So maybe let's go to Everett. What is the social opportunity of coaches and sports organizations and athletes? And I'm thinking, you know, my bias is towards sports where the athletes are predominantly black. So we're thinking football and basketball is where our sort of expertise is. So What's the social opportunity? Maybe not. It's not a responsibility, but what's the opportunity, Everett? Well, um, I, I would first like to uh, uh, piggyback off what Clark said in terms of, because I think that's key in terms mm -hmm. of what the opportunity is: is that 
more guys um, realize their power mm-hmm. and uh, and they're using their power to be a part of change. Mm-hmm. There was a time, I think, where, uh, and I can't speak for all of them, I never even maybe even did a survey, whatever, but I think a lot of guys, the public perception was athletes were immune from all of these challenges mm-hmm. in society. And, uh, but in recent years, they too, I mean, there was a guy from who was with the Raptors or somebody, one of these NBA players in mm-hmm. New York, and he got accosted. Uh, and in the back, he was 6'9 or whatever. They didn't show right. the basketball player. They just put it down. He was just a black guy. Uh, and so I think that the opportunity is to be a part of the solution. We have, uh, since the beginning of time, in my opinion, uh, we've looked uh, to white folk to fix and solve problems in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had to do that. I mean, just like, I mean, like the NAACP, for example, they, they get more money from white folk probably than black folk mm-hmm. uh, in terms of contribution. And so uh, therefore they're not going to be, but you know, they ain't gonna raise but so much, you know, noise about what's going on if uh, like Turner Construction. We we had an issue with Turner Construction on the San Francisco Stadium project and we went to the Congressional Black Caucus and they didn't want to get involved because Turner writes them checks. Okay, I think the time has come with these athletes that you don't have to go to Turner to get the check no more. You can go to one of these ball players because they're realizing that they're in this with everybody else. And just because they may have they got this unique talent and put them in this position to make this money, it don't insulate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then most recently, like the Rams, for example, they um, – there was a group of RAM players that just came together and pulled $750,000. And now they're pulling their money to make change. And yeah. so they they went to the RAMs and they said, identify for us 25 organizations that you work with. Mm-hmm. And they did. And so then they, in, and they invited us in. Well, we were fortunately one of the 25 that the RAMs identified. Everett is talking about the program he started called BOSS which stands for the Business of Student Success and used to be known as the Business of Success Beyond Sports. They're equipping primarily young athletes of color with the tools to succeed in school, in the community, and professionally, with an emphasis on STEAM and critical thinking and writing. And full disclosure, I've been involved with the organization and still try to help when I can. Mm-hmm. So then we had a Zoom call with these players. Yeah. But hmm. we tell them about what we do and the, and the impact we make and, and, and how your support can help us. And they wrote a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar check. Mm. I mean, you had to do no application. I mean, you had to do no application. You had to send them a financial statement. <laughs> you mm. just yeah. told them what you did, and you know, gave them some proof of it. Yeah. And I mean, they had the comfort in knowing that the team deals with you, so it's not like you just walking mm-hmm. off the street. Right. But the fact that they would come together and pool their resources shows them mm-hmm. the kind of impact they can have, and yeah. then they took that. I don't know if you saw Thursday Night Football, but they, uh, Andrew Whitworth was one of the guys. 
but it was mostly the black players. But mm -hmm. I didn't even realize, and it may have some, I don't know what the background is, but he was their nominee, or he is their nominee for the Walter Payton Award, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so on Thursday Night Football, they had a piece on Whitworth. And, and he didn't write the check for the whole 750000 but they listed all of the organizations yeah. that he had impacted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if he don't win the Walter Payton Award, <laughs> I don't know what's up. <laughs> they just put it out there. It's like 25 organizations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was a wonderful thing that they did. Yeah. And, and these yeah. players, and, and the money has increased. And I think the money, the fact that they're making so much more money, I think that has yeah. something to do with it as well. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, if I if I help you out, you know, I'm going to be broke. I mean, mm -hmm. not when you're making, you know, 20 million, you know, mm -hmm. or 10 million or 5 million. Yeah. Uh, but even so, I, I think that they realize the opportunity is that they could be a part of the change, that they could yeah. engage with organizations led by people that look like them mm -hmm. who are interested yeah. in solving these problems the same way they want to. Yeah. And what I hope and the real opportunity for them, I think, is to connect with black businesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Everett makes a great point just being able to continue to grow the links in the chain and they understand the influence, the, the impact, the power, and to know that there are um, successful uh, Black-owned businesses and organizations led by Black folks that are um, doing meaningful good work and to be able to be part of uh, supporting, um, funding, helping, whatever it might be, um, to be able to to see the reality of that is something that I think more of us are, are desiring to do. And mm -hmm. um, actually athletes are, are taking the lead, men and women, you know, male mm -hmm. and female are, mm -hmm. are taking the lead to attach themselves to people and um, organizations that are um, making a difference and uh, keeping it at home, if you will. Well, and then one of the things that I've learned since I've gotten into this nonprofit uh, space mm -hmm. uh, is that, these grant organizations, they give, they're more inclined to give money to help black people if the organization is run by someone other than a black person. Hmm. Mm. Wow, interesting. And so for the players to step up mm -hmm. and, and, and by example, you know, challenge that dynamic, because we got all kind of research, I mean, they get educational research says that if, if you expose a black kid to just one black teacher, mm -hmm. that's going to increase his chances of graduating from high school. Mm -hmm. And so they, they know the importance of connecting the kids with, you know, positive role models and images. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to writing these checks, they still uh, are worried about, you know, are you going to be able to manage this or whatever? Mm -hmm. uh, and so they give it to an organization. They may be able to manage it better or probably not even manage it better, but they don't have the same commitment and passion and understanding about the clientele they serve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So ever go, go deeper in that. And so let's just go with, why did you start boss and Clark? I know you've been a big supporter, a big uh, proponent of boss too. So let's go into that more explicitly. Why, why'd you start boss and what's boss doing? Well, we started it just uh, really to 
But play it forward, I mean, I wouldn't have had any of the success I've had professionally or personally if other people hadn't invested in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, that, I mean, I, it's just how God wired me because some people get help and after they get to where they're going, they, they forget that they got help and they act like they got there themselves. Mm-hmm. But thank God uh, that I'm not built that way. And, and so I saw boss as a way to stay engaged with uh, youngsters who play sport, um, not have to get involved in all because the game of representing players has totally changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and now you have to you have to pay to represent the players. I mean, you got to pay people to introduce you to people and all this other kind of stuff. And <laughs> so it's a whole crazy kind of a situation. So we started boss because we know mathematically. Uh, only a handful of you know guys ever gonna get paid to play, mm-hmm. but with the exposure and the opportunities that come from and through participating in sport, yeah, if you could develop some other skills, mm-hmm. uh, then 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 you're gonna have a successful life. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that was the genesis is to get these kids at a young age. Because we also tried to build the college level and the pros in terms of you know these services that they need, but by then um, I think I was talking to the, the the guy who used to be the player engagement guy for the Cleveland Browns, and he told me the story of uh, the Notre Dame quarterback. I forget his name. They picked him in the first round maybe five eight years ago. Oh, Brady, Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn. That's right. And so, and after the first. So they brought him in for this little rookie symposium, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, Brady, and and the guy told me, he'll never forget when Brady Quinn he came out of the first meeting. He said, man, I've been working my whole life to get here. And the first thing they talked about was what's going to happen when I'm when it's over. <laughs> 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 and I've been working all my life to get here, so I'm just going to enjoy it, right? Yeah, that's funny. Uh, and, and that's how a lot of, and again, and the money is crazy. And so you, know, you got guys, I'm just going to blow my first check and then I'll, I'll do the right thing on the next one and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I just saw the, the, the traits and the characteristics of athletes. If, if they're nurtured properly, they can translate because, you know, if a guy wants to go pro, he's willing to put in the extra time, the extra work, right. he's willing to sacrifice. And if we can get them to understand, okay, if you can do that over here with these books, mm-hmm. then you're going to get a similar result. In fact, you know, I've been practicing law for 45 years. I mean, I don't have to worry about a knee injury or, you know, an ACL or, <laughs> or nothing. And, and you can still be involved in some way. I mean, I was involved in terms of representing. So there's still ways to get involved in the game and participate in that. But Athletics, I mean, most successful people point with pride to their participation in sport as being a, uh, as a, been a real big part of that, you know, camaraderie, teamwork, mm-hmm. lessons learned, character built, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we started doing, so we can build those same things and get kids who play sports so we don't have to instill it in them because they get it in them. They just don't know how to do the transfer that Clark so eloquently spoke to the guys about. And, uh, you can use these same things and win over here. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. 
And Clark, you, you support a number of organizations, but why Boss for you? Well, part of it is Everett, clearly. I mean, he's had a huge impact on me and so many others, but we typically um, win with people. And when you know people and you know their heart and their work, but it's much the same for me. It's a pay forward mentality. I mean, I can't, I cannot repay basketball for what it's given me. Mm. I just don't think I can. And so I'm attempting to pay it forward. And clearly there were other elements involved, my parents and extended family, folks like Everett and other Mm -hmm. mentors and so forth. But it's through the sport of basketball that much of what has transpired in my life by the goodness and grace of God that um, it it, it hunts back to basketball. Mm -hmm. The ability God gave me, the uh, people that he put into my path to help me cultivate that. Um, Certainly I had to do on my part, but it wasn't solely me. Uh, and I always attempt to look at things that way. And um, as, as a Christian, as a um, believer in God through faith in Christ, um, our greatest mandate is to really, um, you know, reflect, resemble, and represent him in all that we are and are becoming. And one of those, one of the ways we do that is by uh, not just loving God, but by loving other people. And loving other people is making yourself available to them in whatever way you can to help them reach their God-given best. And mm. you do that in multiple ways. And so that for me, and then when it's tied to sports and impacting others, expanding their horizons, um, helping them with that um, skill transferal that Everett talks about, mm-hmm. helping them young folks be able to see the reality of that. Um, and the opportunities in sports beyond just playing and the opportunities in life beyond sports. I mean, when you're involved with folks and organizations that are attempting to, you know, to build that kind of a foundation, then you want to be um, helpful with um, your time, with your experiences and with your resources. So that for me is why um, boss has been one of the organizations that, um, I, I look to support and, and certainly Everett's involvement in leadership is, mm-hmm. is, is a key part of it for me as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You two, when I think about you two, you're, you're sort of, you know, not even, it's not even just with uh, the teams and the organizations you're with directly, but you also both play a role in sort of public discourse. So I'm wondering what what did you all have to say? What's your message to, you know, not just young athletes, but also people that are working with athletes, coaches, you know, in the professional ranks, it's it's front office people in college, you know, you've got athletic administrators. What's your message to them, everyone in sports who, you know, maybe they, they, they don't speak up. What's your message to those people trying to find their voice and use it for good? Well, for me, it really comes down first to your individual maturity, passion, uh, growth, because I think you have to be able to uh, use your voice authentically. And Mm -hmm. that means you can't just do or say something because you feel others expect you to. That can be part of the equation at Mm. times, but that can't be the driving force. I wrestle with that constantly. Because Mm -hmm. I have been afforded a platform. 
I have been afforded some level of notoriety. I've had some experiences. I have feelings and opinions about things that I see and don't agree with. But is it always imperative that I speak up every time? Or is it wiser to engage with action and then pick the opportunities where it's most useful and beneficial Mm -hmm. to speak out? There's an element of discernment and wisdom that um, I seek God for because the Apostle Paul says just because it's permissible doesn't mean that it's beneficial. In other Mm -hmm. words, just because I can doesn't mean that I always should. Now, I can't hide behind that and not ever do anything, (laughs) but that doesn't mean I should do everything, even when uh, others might think I should. So there's a a level of um, understanding that, um, embracing that. And then the other thing is it can't just be about you. You know, and when you're thinking about other people, to your question, um, those that are in positions of influence interacting with athletes, I think you first have to try to model what you'd like to see in others um, before you start to try to encourage others to, to, to be that themselves. So it's a modeling element. It's a selflessness. It's a focus on not uh, seeking to be the center of attention, but understanding mm-hmm. there are times when, when stepping up is, is important. There are other mm-hmm. times that it's um, more beneficial to stand down and encourage behind the scenes or be active behind the scenes. So perhaps when you get a chance in the future to speak up, it's got a heavier stick with it. You know, mm-hmm. so it's um, it's it, it's um, it's um, it's um, complex. Uh, but I think everybody has a has a responsibility to 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 do their best with what they um with their opportunities when they have them. But in advice to other folks that are in that spot, it would be just simply be authentic, be genuine, be about those you're attempting to serve and be willing um, when you're compelled to, to, um, to always try to speak up for what's Mm -hmm. right. More importantly, to try to consistently do what's right um, Mm -hmm. for those that you're interacting with. Definitely. Anything you'd add ever you, uh, you're outspoken. Yeah. You don't. You don't yeah. hold your tongue. <laughs> well, no, it's just that uh, 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 this guy is just an amazing guy, uh, Clark. Mm-hmm. And um, his, uh, I, I mean, I forget he's 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 an old guy now. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right, man. We ain't that far <laughs> separated now, man. <laughs> but <clears throat> again, I would uh, I would go back to what the preacher, uh, what I heard the preacher say recently, uh, and. In this country, 70 million plus people just voted for a guy Mm. who is hell-bent to take the country back to 1950. Mm -hmm. 70 million people. Now, uh, in that 70 million, there were some people that just want their 401ks Mm-hmm. And so the tax break, uh, they will, they will bear the rest of the stuff just so they can make more money in their four one k. With some people, but it, that's not everybody in that seventy million. Mm-hmm. And so, what I would say is what the preacher said: is time for the sad show is over. 
Okay. It's time to practice what you preach, mm. to walk in what you talk in, to give in what you live in. Mm. I mean, and the Cox point, what he was saying, he was describing a Christian. Mm. And and not everybody is a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so when you say what advice, it it really depends on what is that person himself or herself centered or grounded in. Mm. Because of these 70 million people, there's a whole gang of them who go to church every Sunday mm. and praise God. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and this man who has never gone to church, who has never repented, who, who has never admitted he did anything wrong, mm. who has assaulted women, just assaulted everything. Mm -hmm. They found a way to rationalize their support mm. for him. Mm. Mm. Now, and, and again, I, and I was, I was conflicted because again, as it is written, we've all sinned mm. and fallen short. Mm -hmm. But I got on my knees and I begged God mm. to forgive me. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump has done none of that. He's acting as though, I mean, God don't even exist. That mm. he's God. Mm. And he got people believing he's God. Mm. And they're doing stuff that, again, if we didn't get it before, we better get it now mm. that there's 70. And even as we speak, we get elected congressmen and attorney generals who are trying to overthrow an election with no evidence, yeah. who are telling people they're using their platforms to convince these people who lack critical thinking skills that the election was fixed. Mm -hmm. Have a man, now, he's not challenging no votes in states he won, no <laughs> votes in no counties that he won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just challenging where I lost. Right. But everybody else who won is good. It don't even make sense what he's saying, <laughs> but 70 million people voted for him. So what mm -hmm. I would say to the coaches and those people who have uh, access and influence over these kids is help them understand the time for the sad show is over. Mm. Mm. Yes. We, we have to be serious here because these guys are trying to Overthrow the government in front of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we think that they, I mean, I just heard Brown Johnson on the Senate committee challenging a Democrat who just wanted him to accept that Joe Biden won the election. This is a senator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's, um, yeah. Yeah. Any last words? Uh, really appreciate I would also you tell him, but I would tell him, Zach, what Al Wellington. Uh, he told me. He told me this every day. I, I know I said it with Clark too. Is mm -hmm. that uh, I would tell these coaches and these other folk who have access to and influence over these players is is don't forget, uh, be mindful of. Sometimes we teach best what we ourselves need to learn. Mm. Mm, yeah. Okay. So so you can't be telling a yeah. kid what he ought to be doing, right. <laughs> and then over you over here. Yeah. Doing something totally opposite. Yeah. No, the example mm -hmm. is huge, man. The example is huge. Yeah. And um, that's why I say it starts with the personal conviction. 
and then recognizing that um, when you have influence over others, you're held to a higher standard. Not only mm-hmm. what you say, but what you do and to make sure, like Everett said, I love that, you know, you got to walk in your talk, mm-hmm. give where you live, man. So those are real, they're, they're memorable phrases, but they, they, they're steeped in reality and truth, you know. Everett, man, you're on fire, man. You're on fire. But you're speaking. I mean, you're right, man. It's, I'm just, you know, my hope is of those seventy million. I don't know. We only got a couple more minutes, but mm-hmm. um, I just, I, I just, I just refuse. I mean, I'm not going to dismiss reality, okay? But I just refuse to believe that the that 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 of that seventy, there's a there's only a small percentage that really. I think most have have done what you said, Everett. They've held their nose for a couple of issues they've made essential whether it's whether it's the 401k or whether it's abortion or whatever whatever too they've elevated some things to a place where they shouldn't have been elevated to and i think many of those folks will repent i'm hopeful and prayerful that if in fact those folks who have gone that direction particularly those that are in the house of faith they found a way to get to that level of support on one or two issues and dismissing the totality of what mm-hmm. scripture says, I would pray that there would be conviction by the spirit in the hearts of those folks. And that, that percentage would, would come back home in terms mm-hmm. right? but it is terribly disheartening, man. It's, I mean, it, it, it's one of the real issues my wife has. I mean, she, I mean, she's like you, El. I mean, she's um, she just can't. I mean, it's just oh, I know Rosie because I, I posted something on Facebook the other day. Rosie was the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. She, 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 because she. I mean, but a lot of people feel that way. I do too. I do too. But uh, man, it's it's just disheartening. And yet, yet we know this stuff hasn't. I mean, to this degree, it's crazy in our lifetime. But it, this stuff has gone on for centuries in different yes. forms and fashions. There's nothing yes. new under the sun. Yes. According to so we know, and therefore we also know that even out of the ashes, the phoenix and the glory of God can rise. As long as, to your point, Everett, those of us that have the opportunity, influence, and conviction to do something, do. You know? Yes. Yeah. And we got. That's where we got to be. That's where I know I've got to be better and more intentional going forward. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where my hope is in God through Christ, but also doing the part that He would have me to do. Uh, and putting forth life and justice and equality and, and speaking against evil. This podcast is a part of the Coaching for Civic Leadership Project, an inquiry into the art of coaching for civic leadership, which I describe as the act of coaching to improve our society, with an eye toward developing leadership, problem solving, and social interest and understanding. If you'd like to keep up with this project, you can subscribe to the podcast and also subscribe to updates, writings, and interviews on our website, coachingforcivicleadership.com.